0: Welcome to Real World, a podcast from Stumo West for soon-to-be college graduates and young professionals who desire to walk faithfully with Jesus in the real world. I'm Logan Bonjean, your host for today's episode, and we have the privilege of sitting down with Bob McNabb to have a conversation about disciple-making teamwork. Bob spent several years working for the ministry campus outreach and then spent 10 years planting churches in Thailand. He's also the author of Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World, and he currently serves as the director for the growing mobilization ministry, Launch Global. Bob, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: I'm glad to be here. It's exciting.
0: Today we're having a conversation about making disciples in the real world, and so I would love to have you start us off on the ground floor. Bob, what is a disciple? What is discipleship?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, at, at its core, a disciple is just a learner, a pupil, if you will. Um, But when Jesus uses that word, he means something more. And he talks about people proving themselves to be his disciples. So, we know it's more than just learners. So, three things that kind of pop out in my mind as I read the scriptures in John, uh, in John 8, 31, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And so, there's this Living, remaining in his word, applying it to your daily life. If you're if you're doing that, if you just kind of know it, but you're not living it out, then you're really not a disciple, is what Jesus is saying. And then and then in John 13, 35, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And and so you've got this distinguishing characteristic of a disciple, okay? A, a, A test. If you're not loving people, you're not following Jesus. And, and then John 15, 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so to prove that you are my disciples. So, you know, when he says fruit, sometimes you think of fruit of the Spirit, like Galatians 5, um, love, joy, peace, patience, and certainly that's true. But I think in this, this John passage, Jesus is thinking about something more than that, because in verse 16, he says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and fruit that should abide or fruit that should last. And so this is another form of the great commission where he's saying, go and bear fruit, Uh, tremendous fruit. There's tremendous promises like Mark 420. It says uh, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop 30, 60, even a hundred times what was sown. And man, what a tremendous promise to, to know that. And so, I think that's a disciple, is someone who's who's receiving the teachings, accepting them, living them out, but also passing them on to others, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Uh, we, uh, we say sometimes when Jesus said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, we say, if you're not Fishing, you're not following. Being a disciple and making disciples.
0: If you're not fishing, you're not following. I love that. Bobby wrote a book called Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World, and it's been an incredible resource in my personal life. And in the book, you talk about how students are statistically a lot more likely to make disciples while they're in college than when they enter the real world. Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And this is one that Um, frustrated me for years. Uh, I was part of a campus ministry, I was on the staff for 15 years of a campus ministry that our vision was building laborers on the campus for the lost world. So this idea that you'd pour your life into somebody for four years and then they'd go do it for the next 40. Well, after a while, started watching some of the graduates get out there and just struggle. You know, people who had made second, third, fourth generation disciples on the college campus, who got out into the real world, if you will, and kind of all that came to a screeching halt. And and I just began to even wonder, is it even possible out there? Is it just harder? Is it just different? Maybe the college campus is easier. And so that's that's what kind of kicked us into this study of why some disciple makers reproduce while others fail. And we looked at 500 plus aspiring disciple makers and kind of looked at what was the difference? And what we found out actually, not all college students are more statistically likely to make disciples. It's those who are connected to great campus ministries like student mobilization, campus outreach, navigators, crusade, InterVarsity, some of those that really create a disciple making culture mm. where they support them with, they're, they're constantly casting vision to make disciples. They're, they're, coming along with encouragement and teamwork. And I mean, think about it, think about the guy on the football team, you know, who's a Christian who wants to reach the rest of his football team or the girl in the sorority. What usually happens there is you see these uh, campus staff members encouraging them to get together with other football players or other girls in the sorority and pray together for their lost friends. There's the start of community and teamwork. And then why don't you have a a Bible study in together, you guys team up and have a Bible study together in in your sorority. And so they do that. And so all of a sudden they're on mission, whether they know it or not, they're becoming a disciple making team. And and sadly, we don't find much of that out in churches. So when people leave these these ministries that are really helping them stay on track and, and work together as disciple making teams, then they graduate in churches, which are also there's a lot of awesome churches teach the bible really good, solid churches but oftentimes it's hard to find one that actually comes alongside its members and supports them encourages them trains them to make disciples who make disciples to make disciples so it's it's that involvement in something larger than just being by yourself that makes the difference.
0: Yeah I think that's really challenging to our hyper individualistic culture and how it's shaped us to think that we can do our lives on our own. And and Bob, you already touched on this. I would love for you to expound on it some more. You you touched on some disciple-making teamwork aspects, being praying for your lost friends, studying the Bible together. I would love for you to dive a little deeper in just what a disciple-making team looks like and what it takes to build one.
1: Even when you talk about that, there's a lot of confusion. I think uh, folks think, well, that means maybe you pray for your lost friends together and then you hold each other accountable when you get when you come back in and meet again next week. And honestly, that's a setup for shame and failure. I've been in, you know, I've approached it that way where it's like, hey, did you share with your lost friends that we prayed? no, I guess got busy. And you know, really what we found is when you actually do it together, that makes all the difference in the world. And so, you know, think about it. Jesus sent people out two by two for a reason. We need each other. Um, so the, a disciple making team, really, it can have a lot of things can happen in one in one. But at minimum, you kind of need these three things that all start with P. You, you pray together for your lost friends. OK, when you get together, you meet probably a weekly basis of, you know, two or more people as a team, probably six to ten would be better. But any number in there. Um, and you pray together for your lost friends. We we like to get out a big blue poster board and and it's blank when we start meeting together and then over the weeks that follow we start writing our friends' names on them. And, and 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 we pull that big blue poster board out and we and we pray for our lost friends and if we start studying the Bible with one we'll underline that. They come to Christ, we'll put a little cross by their name just to celebrate what God's doing. It's just a tradition that we have now, but we 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 pray for the lost together. Number one, number two, we pair up say, hey, you know, um, I might say if I'm in the team, I might say, hey, I've got a friend um, that I met down at the soccer fields. And, you know, Drew, I know that you play soccer. um, And I'm not very good. And hey, I think he would really enjoy meeting you. Would you go with me? And so, Drew and I end up pairing up and then somebody else might pair up. Sometimes, and then and then finally, the last P, let me say this, the plan, we plan what we're going to do together. Pray for the lost, you pair up, and then you plan what you're going to do. Sometimes the plan is to do something all together as a team, like a barbecue, or I think about one disciple-making team I was in, we had Domino Domingo. And so we had pizza we would bring in on like Sundays, and um, it was just a game night. And we would bring our lost friends, and then we would introduce them to each other and, and share our testimonies. And we really- approached sharing Jesus as a team sport like a basketball team instead of an individual sport like a golf team and we found that makes such a difference another way to say is fishing with a net with a big net that people are multiple people are holding versus individual fishing poles you know and it it really makes the difference um I know for me I've been in full-time Christian work for 35 years and I need disciple making teams. I i mean, if you leave me by myself on, let's say it's a Thursday evening and I come home from doing my kind of day job in Christian work, you know, where I'm administrating a lot of stuff as a leader and I come home and I have a choice to pick up the remote and turn on the TV and watch a sports game or go down to the soccer field with Drew and, and meet some lost friends. You leave me by myself, I'm, gonna, I'm, if you, I'm just going to choose the, the game versus go down to the soccer field by myself. But if I have, have that appointment with Drew, we've, we've prayed for the lost friends. We've said, let's go do it together. It's on our calendars. Then I go. So, it makes all the difference in my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. I need the community of a team to do it together with. And that's the game changer, 100% the game changer, because you got a lot of people that their heart is there, man. They, they want to share their faith on a regular basis, but they struggle to do it. The, the team is the game changer.
0: The team is the game changer. That's so good. I even think of how our, our vision just leaks. And so if I don't have a team of people in my life consistently restocking my vision, it's going to leak out and I'm going to run on empty. Bob, you mentioned a couple of times praying for lost friends, pursuing lost people. Will you give us a kind of working definition of what you mean when you say lost?
1: Yeah, uh, people that h- haven't experienced um, the life giving relationship with Jesus, just knowing mm. him, having him come in and really give them a, a, a new spirit, a new heart, joy. Um, you know, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, people who engage in this behavior or that behavior. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about religion. We're not talking about morals. We're talking about people that come into a saving relationship with Christ where it's like, man, it, he has made the difference. I, I used to be this way, but now I have this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's not about the behaviors. It's about the change of heart that Christ can bring. And be a, he is mine and I am his, man. That's it. When Jesus in Matthew 28, he tells his disciples to go and baptize people. Baptism is really... It, at its core of what it is, it's an identification. I'm Christ and he's mine. We're together. I'm baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we're told to go make disciples, we're basically what he's, and baptize them, he's telling us to bring them into a place where they know Jesus. He's so good. And they know him and they love him and they worship him and he's changing their lives. And that's what we're talking about.
0: And that's amazing. Thank you. We talked a little bit earlier about how people are statistically more likely to make disciples in college than they are in the real world. You also touch on in your book how it's unfortunately pretty difficult to find a church that's equipping disciples to make disciples to make disciples. Speaking to a student who's about to graduate from college or who has just recently graduated from college, how would you encourage them to go seek out a disciple-making team in the context of their local church?
1: Yeah, that's great. And I want to... kind of answer that in two parts. And one just, and I think both of them will be really encouraging. And the one is just to illustrate um, the difference that that community makes. Um, But I think as Americans, we think uh, we can train people into having certain behaviors. And I think we've seen that, no, that really doesn't work. And that's kind of what you were reading there. And so I I have... um, a daughter who, one of my three daughters, uh, was serving down in Auburn, and she was friends with someone who was uh, involved with a ministry up in Memphis. And they were talking, and uh, the person in Memphis was saying, yeah, we're training all these people in evangelism. And as they got to chat, um, my daughter kind of asked, well, you know, six months later after you train them, what percentage are you finding that continue to use the The, you know, gospel sharing training, the evangelism, you know, how many people are using that? And the answer was, and they'd actually kept numbers on this. It was somewhere between five to seven percent that actually kept sharing their faith six months later, even though they'd received this training. So so right after right during the training and after the training, it was, you know, pretty high. But within six months, down to five to seven percent. So she said, Dad, I don't get it, though. But because here at Auburn, it seems like we have about 40% of the people that we've trained are continuing to do it. And what's, the, what's going on? And I said, well, let me ask you this. Are the people in Auburn that you're talking about a part of a disciple-making team? And she said, well, yes, most of them. And I said, okay, and where did you get that 40% from? Because I don't want to go quote that. You know, did, is that actually you looked at hard numbers? Or she said, Well, I'm just guessing. I said, Okay. And so that started us actually going and collecting the numbers from Auburn about the folks that we had trained and then got into disciple making teams. And um, once we did all the work and looking at all that, putting it on spreadsheets and following up, and it wasn't 40%, it was 94%. 94% wow. of the people who had, Gotten into a disciple making team, we're continuing to share their faith on a regular basis. Not 5% or 7%, 94%. That's incredible. Teaming makes all the difference. So I don't really care how many people you've trained to share their faith. I care about how many people you've teamed to share their faith. I'd take somebody who hasn't been trained all that well, but is in a team over somebody who's had great training and not on a team all day long. And as I've shared these statistics before, there's been some, you know, some blank stares on people's face, like, I'm not sure this is true. It's too good to believe or what I've seen that in a couple of people's faces. And so I began to search for uh, just an illustration that would help people grasp the difference that a team makes. And and, uh, I thought of this, think about a high school cross country team and if we surveyed a high school cross-country team and we found out that 94% of the people on the high school cross-country team run three times, at least three times a week, would that be hard to believe? <laughs> no, no, because they're on a team that gets together. That's their purpose. That's what they do. So it's natural that you'd have that kind of numbers. So when, when you get a group of believers together, and their purpose is, hey, let's let's help each other, share uh, the you know the life changing experience we've had. Let let's share that with others. Let's do it together as a team. It's really not hard to believe that there would yeah. be that high percentage. I say, think about it. We get together to study the Bible. We get together to mm. you know pray. We get together to worship. We get together to fellowship. Why don't we? You know, and then we go do a, evangelism and discipleship by ourselves. And we all kind of have our, our strengths and weaknesses, right? I mean, I'm a little bit more introverted. And so it's awesome for me to to ha- be on a team that has some extroverts. Man, they're out there meeting new people, you know, they're and then they're introducing me to their friends who don't know Christ. And they're kind of putting the ball on the tee for me by introducing me. And then I'm able to... to a lot of them, a lot of the extroverts, you know, honestly, a lot of them are people pleasers and they're they have they find it a little bit difficult to transition a conversation to spiritual things. And that's where I help them. And so we really, the introverts and the extroverts and people with different gifts can really help each other. We need each other in this.
0: Yeah, as someone who's pretty introverted, that is encouraging and important for me to hear for sure. And it kind of transitions perfectly into the next question I wanted to ask you, Bob. In your book, you talk about how Jesus actually partook in disciple-making teamwork. You even had a, a line that made me laugh about how Jesus wasn't taking guys individually to the Capernaum Starbucks to do a one-on-one. And uh, we know one-on-one time is not a bad thing at all, but uh, could you talk a little bit more about that idea of how Jesus did discipleship and how we can emulate him in that?
1: Yeah, that's right. He 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 chose 12 and really focused in on them. And then he even had three Peter, James, and John that he gave even more attention to. But it was always, you know, he was building a team, he was building a community, and the community within a community, even where he focused on those leaders. Yeah, he might have some individual one on one talks with them, maybe about their character or their lack of faith. <laughs> yeah. We're not precluding that, you know. Certainly, if you're discipling somebody, go get a Coke with them. However, you're really doing it discipling in the context of community, discipling in the context of evangelism and ministry. You know, you know sometimes people want sh- to, they read Acts 2 and they, they salivate like, man, this is so good. Look at these believers living together in community, having everything in common. Man, I want that. But the truth is, if you form a group to shoot for that, you're really never gonna get there. If you form a, a group around a mission, like, hey, let's let's make disciples together who make disciples, let's do that together. You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna get that community you were desiring. You're gonna you're gonna have more of a, man, we need to pray together. We're going out to share. Or, man, you know, I had this problem this last week and it's keeping me from making let's. Man, you all the it pushes all the right buttons when you're on mission together. It really brings community together in such a sweet way that you don't have when you just aim for being a community.
0: Yeah, Bob, I love how you've painted a picture of an outward curving community rather than an inward curving community. We're not out looking for some holy huddle. We're seeking to be communities of people that are doing life on mission. I think that's amazing.
1: When we began to see that you really, our, our graduates really needed to go get into a similar situation that they had on the college campus where there's the top leaders are casting vision for disciple making and modeling it and giving coaching and, and, and uh, encouragement and training. Then when we got further into the study and really started looking at what was helping disciple makers who were succeeding, we found out that it's really possible to have a disciple making team within a church that doesn't necessarily function that way as a whole, but you can still have a disciple making team that is functioning and healthy and works. So that's good news is, is all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, so what I need to encourage people to do is start learning now while you're still in college, how do we intentionally function this way as a team and how can we multiply these teams and then just go do that very same thing when you get out wherever you go. So it is possible, start practicing it now. And, mm. and you know, there are some that are in uh, some pretty good ministries on, on college campuses, but maybe they're, they really don't have uh, the training on how to make disciples of teams. And so, because of that, I put together a guidebook that goes along with the book that really week by week says, OK, week one of your team meeting, do this week two, do this week three, do this. And it spells out how to not just be a Bible study or a fellowship, but how to really see that, see your group transformed into a team by practical week by week. And so, you know, I'm encouraged when people read the book, but I'm sometimes pretty skeptical. But if they actually get the guidebook, and do it together with some other people, then I'm like, okay, this, is, this has a high chance of working. And so anyway, that's the encouraging uh, thing is that, hey, you're graduating, going out, you, you can keep doing it, but you need a team and you can form that team and start now
0: start now. I love it. Yeah, we'll link the book and the guidebook in the description. They are amazing, amazing resources. And Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. I know I feel more equipped to follow Jesus in the real world. And my prayer is that everybody listening in does as well. Thank you so much for imparting some wisdom to us and giving us your time today. Thanks for tuning into Real World. We pray that you'll take this knowledge and turn it into action that will lead to a full life of following Jesus faithfully in the real world.